Unlock the power of your mind. This is Provocative Enlightenment with Eldon Taylor. Welcome to another hour dedicated to the inquiry of what exactly enlightenment means and what it is to be enlightened. Indeed, an hour devoted to learning something more about ourselves, an hour designed to help us go further inward and perhaps challenge some of those old ideas about the world we live in and the people we have become. This is an hour for the open-minded, for where our search might take us may provoke a level of insight that may just perturb our notion of what is real, what is tractable, what is important, and more. It is therefore an hour where we admit that our foregone conclusions could all be wrong, and in that way truly open ourselves up to the plausibility of a new level of comprehension that in some way, somehow, may indeed lead to that elusive state known as enlightenment. Now, every week I read a few of our letters as our way of paying respect to the importance you play in helping us to shape our show and improve it in every way. Joy wrote, I just viewed your DVD, Change Without Thinking, for the first time, and it blew me away. I can't wait to start reprogramming my mind. Excuse me. And boy, does it need it. I am filled with infinite gratitude. Thank you so very much. Well, thank you, Joy. And for those of you who have not seen Change Without Thinking, the three DVD set, I just noticed today is on sale at Amazon for under $22. People paid several hundred dollars for this five-hour presentation originally. So that's a real deal. Uh, Unbelievable deal, actually. Karen wrote regarding the free MP3s that we offer. These have lifted me up so much. Thank you. We are grateful that we can offer this service, Karen, and doubly pleased to hear from you. For those of you joining us for the first time, the free MP3 programs Karen writes about are available on my website, ellentaylor.com. These are not samples. They are the real deal, the patented, the scientifically proven effective InterTalk technology. Just follow the link under free programs. Now, Catherine wrote, I have recently found your show. Fantastic. And thank you for the free downloads. Colette wrote, I love your radio show on Hay House. Well, thank you, Colette. I love that you all love us. Keep up those letters. John wrote, I really enjoyed your presentation in San Diego. What book of yours has all of those miracle stories in it? You will find the stories I shared and a whole lot more, including many on animal consciousness in my book, What Does That Mean? Exploring Mind, Meaning, and Mysteries. And you can find that on sale at both Amazon and Barnes & Noble as well. Now, Janine wrote, I am only halfway through your book, What Does That Mean? And I feel like my brain has been rattled. Not sure how to describe it, really. Love the book. Many thanks. Well, thank you, Janine. Ramon wrote, I appreciate your show, but I would really like to know how you get away with being critical of so many things on Hay House Radio, ranging from specific authors to psychics. Well, Ramon, I simply feel an obligation to my listeners to be honest. I don't think I'm critical. To me, there is an issue of integrity if one knowingly allows something false or truly questionable to go by as unchallenged. However, a flaw caught is not the destruction of a message. Take last week, for instance. My guest said that it was an indisputable fact that thoughts create the physical reality. Physicists have proven this, she continued. Well, we may all wish that this were true, 
But the fact is that statement is simply false to fact. Not that this was a lie per se, but rather that a misunderstanding of the literature having to do with wave-particle duality had been spoken as though it were fact. I corrected this, and we went on to have a really great interview with a subject for which my guest had written her book. The bottom line is, Hay House has never instructed me to be anything other than honest and candid. But thanks for the letter, Ramon. Okay, that's all the time we have for our letters today, but I do invite you to opine by leaving comments on my website, by emailing me directly at eldon at intertalk.com, or by joining me on Facebook. I do read all of your letters, including those that don't make it to our show, and they do impact our programming. So thank you. Now to today's broadcast. Plato postulated the idea of a soul, a spirit, if you will. And his student, Aristotle, decided that it was infused in the fetus at 16 weeks of age. Later, as ridiculous as it might seem, our Supreme Court actually used this 16-week marker for the initial ruling regarding abortion. The idea of the mind-body duality is generally credited to Rene Descartes these days. Cogito ergo sum. I think, therefore I am. The well-known classical argument used by Descartes to establish the existence of himself, of God, and to do so, particularly with God, as necessary rather than contingent. Thus, the mind-body-soul paradigm is well established in history and continues to flourish today. So what touches all three, all three simultaneously, the mind, the body, and the solar spirit? What medium or modality moves spirit, massages body, and inspires mind, and all at the same time? Well, one answer is music, and no other can do so more mellifluously unless it is perhaps that ineffable experience Plotinus addressed when he described being one with the one, capital one, and that probably included music. Music has been demonstrated to enhance learning, quiet the so-called savage breast, raise goosebumps on its listeners, lead men into battle, reduce stress and anxiety, heal the body, and much, much more. Not all music, though. Some music, when played to animals, such as chickens and dairy cattle, actually increases their production, while other music has quite the opposite effect. Why is this? What is it about music that makes it special, and why do some of us find the music of others to be just discordant sounds? To make things worse, just a couple of months ago, a study was released about the learning effects of Mozart music on children. Perhaps you remember the big Mozart craze. Play your small children, your infant children, for that matter, Mozart music, and their intelligence will prosper. Baby geniuses just by listening to Mozart. But then the latest study revealed that perhaps the opposite was true. One headline read, quote, Scores of mothers playing Mozart for their babies to give them an intellectual edge may as well be playing Lady Gaga according to the new analysis done by the University of Vienna, end quote. Now, that said, just this last week, I read a study that was released that showed premature babies grew faster and stronger when listening to Mozart than premature babies left to the normal background sounds. So what are we to believe? 
Can music lead us to enlightenment, or at least part way? Music for the soul, music that heals. What do you think about this? We want your input and questions, and we invite you to join us. Joining me today is a musician I have long known and admired. A bit of an aside here, but many people have informed me that they go to bed with me every night. Now, not me, of course, but one of my tapes or CDs. Well, my wife is giving me a dirty look. But <laughs> well, I've gone into meditation for years with our guest today. Not him, but his music. Specifically, his recording titled Ancient Echoes. I'll play a little of that for you in a while, just so you really get the idea. All right? I'm speaking of Dr. Stephen Halpern. Stephen Halpern is a New Age musician. He played trumpet and guitar by way of background on the New York City jazz scene in the 60s, but became disenchanted with this and moved to California. There he began exploring the idea of creating music entirely for the purpose of relaxation, which he called anti-frantic alternative music. He began creating soundscapes which did not adhere to traditional Western tonality, but which instead consisted of static, minimalistic electric piano textures inspired by Eastern music. He is a proponent of theories which emphasize the healing properties of music. Since his first record of New Age uh, material was released in 1975, he's recorded more than 50 albums. The most commercially successful of these was 2000's Deja Blues, which reached number 18 on the U.S. Billboard Top New Age Albums chart. He is also the author of two books, Tuning the Human Instrument and Sound Health. And Sound Health, I think I read, goodness, maybe 25 years ago, is still a great book. Welcome to Provocative Enlightenment, Stephen Halpern. Well, good morning, Eldon. A pleasure to be with you and everyone this morning. Our pleasure indeed. To begin with, help me out with some definitions, if you will. My understanding says nonstop anapestic music essentially has no beginning, no end, and no middle, so you can hear it over and over and yet not hum it. And this, I believe, is the marker of what the industry terms new age. Right? Wrong? Please expound. I think you misspoke the beginning of that sentence. You said, uh, what I think you were referring to was anti-frantic music, but you, I think you used anti-anapestic I did. There was something else that snuck in there, uh, so which is a whole other 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 situation because that relates just to the specific rhythmic structure of a certain uh, beat that's common to a lot of rock music. But l- let me take that back to the question I think you were asking was about the anti-frantic music, which was an early descriptive phrase that uh, came to me to describe my music and what I was doing with it, uh, and. Just, just a point of fact, that's been updated uh, 20 years ago. So we went from the anti, which I was never really comfortable with, to the more positive mm-hmm. inner peace music based on the feedback that people gave me, which is your music helps us feel so peaceful. And that's really the rubric and the uh, uh, description that I use now. But in point of what you were describing in the intro, the music uh, does have... a. In fact, some of the reviewers who wrote things like that came... uh, The reason they would say that is because my music didn't have maybe a a classically defined 
uh, melodic phrase at the beginning, at the end, and the development of a theme in many cases. Since I've done over 50 albums, some of the albums have very definite uh, themes and uh, developments and a return to the theme. But as I pointed out to some of the reviewers, unless they listen to the music on its own terms, they would be unable to, uh, to perceive that. That being said, many of the reviewers admitted that they had three or four cups of coffee before they went and doing their reviews of the day. They had to review, let's say, five to ten albums in that day. So naturally, they caffeine up. When your nervous system is operating at that speed, Eldon, you can't slow down enough to hear the spaces between the notes. And one of the hallmarks of my music is typically that there isn't a, uh, an ongoing beat and one of the reasons why there's a more of an ambient flow rather than a strict melodic imperative is precisely for the limitation factor. It was interesting, as uh, one of the ads leading into our interview was Louise Hay talking about the power of the present moment. That is right. always something that I've understood in the music. If, if I may just hum you a couple bars, if, if I may just oh, give please. you a, a sound uh, demonstration and invite you and our listening audience to feel and experience what they are going through when a familiar pattern is presented to them that may be worth five more of my sentences. So here we go. I'm going to sing fairly accurately a pattern that most of us will recognize. Watch what happens in your body. Do, re, mi, fa, so, la, ti. And how many of you are holding your breath right now? I find that typically most people are. We tend to project into the future where we know or anticipate and expect the music to go. Uh, when you do that, again, as Louise was saying, you're hung up not only in the past, but in the future projection. You're not in the present moment. And because relaxation is fundamental to most forms of healing, what my body told me when I was first researching and exploring this field was that I needed to be relaxed in the present moment. I needed to be in the now. And the way my musical brain, uh, based on my studying of becoming a musician, was that I was always anticipating and dealing with the expectation factor. We call this the paralysis of analysis. The scale that I just sang invokes what I call the, uh, the scaleless interruptus effect. In other words, okay. you get hung up expecting it, and you, you hold your breath. Your brain is waiting for the final resolution of the do, the final note. And there it is, folks. You can breathe now. But that is <laughs> fundamental to most all of the music that we hear based on what we've been culturally conditioned to anticipate and to experience. And what I did with my music is I broke through that limitation, that boundary. I colored outside the lines. And I went more in terms of some of the Eastern understandings of the constant music of the spheres in that there wasn't a necessarily a specific uh, goal-oriented aspect to the music, but there was a being aspect rather than a doing aspect. I hope that answers a lot of the question. <laughs> that, you know, now, uh, have you got the being aspect that you can hum for us? Well, no. 
That's that's the point. <laughs> I use that right. is the point, isn't it? Right. It's using music to get beyond music. Is using sound to get to the the silence with the capital S further and deeper into the spaces. In fact, one of the suggestions that I've always shared with my audiences is that one of the reasons there's more space and silence in my music is because when I'm recording, I am in a meditative state. I am listening to the overtones and to the spaces between the sounds, and that helps me hear the next phrase of music that's going to uh, channel through. That's where the inspiration comes, and that's the... uh, the phrase that describes that being listening to the spaces between the notes, which just happens to be the same thing now that Deepak Chopra and Wayne Dyer talk about in terms of getting in the gap between thoughts. Very interesting. All right, you you heard in the setup piece uh, all of this about Mozart yes. and the Mozart music, you know? Uh, the, the original study, which was at UC Irvine, I uh-huh. believe, you know, right there in your backyard, back in '93, used uh-huh. Mozart's Sonata for two pianos in D major. Uh-huh. But not all of the studies have used that same piece of Mozart's music. Doesn't it make a difference? I mean, it, it's one thing to say I'm using Mozart, but shouldn't we be paying attention to which Mozart we're using? Absolutely, you really hit the nail on the head there. And not only that, but which performance and which recording of that piece? Uh, many of because there are so many different recordings of the same classical uh, composition across the board. One person's interpretation of Mozart may be very different than someone else. Some really, if, if we had a truth in packaging and truth in advertising, Eldon, it would be called Mozart's highly caffeinated sonata in D major for two pianos according to some of the ones that I've heard, in the same way that uh, Pachelbel's Canon, the very majestic uh, composition that many of us know, there are some very speedy and highly caffeinated versions of that out on the market. If you use those, you would get a totally different response. Again, Mozart was working a lot in Vienna, the coffee capital, the caffeine capital of Europe in his day. Uh, people were not interested in relaxation at that time. Uh, it was very interesting, the uh, study that you just brought up uh, last week about the uh, uh, Mozart effect not working. When I, first saw, right, when I first saw that 1973 study, uh, excuse me, ni- ni- 1993, 93. Uh, yeah. I, I read the headline in USA Today at the uh, Chicago O'Hare Airport. I immediately called up Dr. Shore at UC Irvine and said, I'd like to come down and uh, see what you've been doing down there because... That study makes no sense to me based on my own research and research of other people I knew. And what I found in the secrets behind the scenes ultimately is what has come out uh, since then. It wound up being a great marketing opportunity for some other musicians and sold a lot of books. But it was one of the great demonstrations, and I think our audience uh, will appreciate this, of the 100th monkey phenomenon except that there was not a monkey to begin with, but a, a, a rumor, a myth, was created, took on a life of its own, and then was misinterpreted and put out as gospel truth in the same way that you were talking about the uh, uh, duality of uh, wave and particle taking on a, a reality that is not exactly what the scientists said. Uh, so, in, in truth, with Mozart, there's, there's not only some great Mozart recordings, but there's a lot of 
not so great recordings of the sonata in D major. I've had people come up to me and say, you know, we, we read the book on the Mozart effect, and we tried Mozart and it didn't work just like you just said. I said, well, which Mozart were you using? And one of them said, oh, the Marriage of Figaro is the only one I had in my collection. Well, let me tell you, that is not going to help you learn faster if you're an adult or if you're a baby. There are so many variables and so much bad science in the studies that have been done in many cases. In fact, part of the study at UC Irvine did not have a control. Well, you know from a scientific method, if you don't have a control, you, you shouldn't be saying anything. And indeed, no, right, Dr. Shaw said this is not a formal study. This, is, uh, this study is suggestive that there might be an interesting phenomenon worthy of study. But yet the copywriters, the headline writers at magazines and books just took that and ran with it. And when I called up and wrote into Time magazine and said, you know, this is a flawed study, here's some other research you should know about, they said, um, we're not interested. We like Mozart. We don't care if it's true or not. That's really interesting. Time magazine sent that to you. Huh? Uh, I have a letter from the editor. And I said, well, thank you for being honest. <laughs> I, I suppose you can't say that they're honest. What is your take then? I mean, have you been able to ascertain what uh, Mozart piece was used with these premature babies? Uh, no, I, I, I'm, uh, with that study, I don't know. Uh, but I do know because I saw the actual CD that they used at UC Irvine. But, but another very important factor, Eldon, is that different people have different reactions to certain classical music. And even the right. same person will have a different reaction sometimes in the morning, one year get, uh, re with respect to another year. There are so many different variables that it becomes very difficult for people. In fact, one of the music therapists who was at the, um, the conference that Dr. Shaw, Dr. Gordon Shaw, who did uh, with Gordon, uh, uh, Elizabeth Rauscher, the, the Mozart studies, uh, said that it may be that because Mozart with eight, was ADD, Attention Deficit Disorder, and mm -hmm. ADHD, it may be that Mozart's music works very well for the people who themselves are ADHD, since the music balanced Mozart out, and he would maybe compose music to help him get straight and get balanced. But if you're normally balanced, like perhaps you and my, myself, the music doesn't have the same effect because we're already in balance. And most of the uh, writers that I've met would qualify more as the ADD phenomenon, you know, the per personality characteristics. Right. So we have a closed loop, but they're talking to their own choir. They're making a, um, a, a fact out of something that should really be uh, applied to maybe 20, 25 percent of the uh, audience. And they've made it well, seem we... like everybody should respond to that. And I've had people in my workshops who said, we, we got a hard break coming okay. up, Stephen. We're going to have to we'll hold that one. But there are lots of those kinds of stories out yes. there that are just false to fact. We'll discuss more of them when we get back. You're listening to Provocative Enlightenment on Hay House Radio. My guest today is Stephen Halpern. We're discussing the influence of music on the mind, body, and spirit. We'll be right back after these words from some of our friends. And don't miss a sample of his music coming after the break. Close your eyes. Imagine your goals and dreams. What's preventing you from accomplishing them? Most often, we are our own worst enemies. I can't. I'm not good enough. It's time to reprogram that inner dialogue. Replace all those negative self-images with, I'm good. I am powerful. I can do anything. 
Eldon Taylor's InnerTalk patented subliminal technology does just that. Researched at numerous universities such as Stanford and by governments such as Mexico and Germany, InnerTalk has repeatedly been proven effective at changing your self-talk. Stop imagining your goals and make them a reality today. Visit www.innertalk.com. That's I-N-N-E-R-T-A-L-K.com. Innertalk.com. Do you feel like you've become lost in a funhouse? Only seeing the reflection of yourself, past, future, and present, but unable to find the real you? I invite you to step through the doorway and onto the path leading to understanding of your mind, your choices, and the influences that surround you. Read Elton Taylor's New York Times best-selling book, Choices and Illusions. Now expanded, updated, and revised, it will provide you with real-life examples of how you can break free from your current perceptions and begin your journey to how high is up. Get your copy today from all bookstores or online from Amazon.com or Barnes & Noble. Unlock the power of your mind. This is Provocative Enlightenment with Eldon Taylor. Welcome back. If you just joined us, we're discussing the influences of music on mind, body, and spirit. My guest is Stephen Halpern. And uh, in my introduction, I promised you a listening experience to the music I have meditated to for, I'm sure, some 25-plus years now. So here it is. It's a short piece from the album by Stephen Halpern and Georgia Kelly titled Ancient Echoes. This particular piece uh, is Ode for Orpheus, but there are so many on this. I, I honestly just, well, enjoy. Listen and enjoy. Stephen Halpern, I love your music. Now, you, you can't listen to that and maintain this caffeine pace that people, uh, well, that we've been talking about. 
Uh, that's exquisite. Beautiful music. All of your music is exquisite, though, Stephen. You're genuinely a, gen- genuinely, I'll get it said, a gift. And I appreciate you being here with us. We were talking before we went off um, to our break about the sloppy science that's often involved in uh, replication of some of these studies or the conduct of the studies themselves. Are you familiar with the earlier studies? And I guess I read the first ones maybe, uh, again, uh, 20, 25 years ago that had been done on the effects of music with regard to egg laying and milk production. And what do you think about the results of those? What do you think produces that? Well, I've seen some, and in fact, some of those studies go back way before that. When I first got involved in this field in the early 70s, uh, I, I connected with, in fact, hired some of the scientists who were involved in the, uh, the book, The Secret Life of Plants. And as part uh-huh. of that, there were also studies done playing music to plants, as well as cows and, and, and chickens. There were lots of other factors, but uh, depending on how the music is delivered, certainly, uh, and, and also relating to the hospital environment, compared to the noise of certain environments and the, the mechanical noises and sounds in a hospital, anything is going to be better. Part of the problem with the Mozart effect studies in the beginning was they compared uh, the piece of Mozart to rap music, and subsequent studies showed that it may not be the Mozart made you smarter, but the, uh, but the rap music made you dumber, <laughs> and by comparison, Mozart was just leaving you, uh, you know, steady. Uh, I do want to say this, though, Eldon. Uh, I love Mozart. I am, was always more attracted, though, to the phenomenon of what Mozart said when he was asked, well, Mozart, oh, Alf, Wolfie, where do you get your inspiration? And he would say, well, sometimes I'm just walking down the road and my head is filled with music, and I thank God that it sounds Mozartian, and all I do is write it down. Because when I when I heard that story, I said, well, that's what I've been experiencing. Music comes to me, and it's not like I'm sitting there slaving with a uh, pen and ink over uh, writing little black dots on white paper, but the music just flows into my head and out my fingers. That's a much more efficient way of, of, of composing recording, I find, also. Uh, but that aspect of Mozart's genius is not considered, or hasn't been typically, and it's only in the last, oh, what, 15 years or so, when people like Doreen Virtue, many of other other favorite uh, Hay House authors, and James von Prague, have been talking more openly about the other side and getting inspiration from angels. One of the reasons I called my album Gifts of the Angels was to acknowledge that in every major recording session that I've done, at least one time the room fills with light, uh, in the beginning, it used to freak out the recording engineer, uh, who was not a meditator, who was not um, spiritually aware, in a sense. But he was very intuitive and very tuned in. I said, well, we're just going to call that a voltage surge. Sometimes we even got pictures of this. And that's encoded. That's part of the healing energy that's encoded in my albums. And um, with, with my own albums, by the way, there, there's only one correct version like it or not, but with Mozart, you could get five different versions that are all diff- going to sound different. With my music, there's only one Stephen Halpern version, so you got the authentic, and that, that helps simplify talking about the effects of the music, because we are literally hardwired to respond to sound, hardwired to respond to, uh, to rhythms, and then it's a, a matter of 
what uh, we bring to it and how open we are to the music doing its its healing resonances and entrainments. Okay, we've got uh, we've got some questions out of our chat room okay. and some callers. Let's see if we can't take some of that, and then I'm going to come back and ask you a little bit about Adagio Largo, the Lazanoff method, mm-hmm. this whole stuff that you remember. I know but, it well. Let's okay. Let's and go I'll, I'll to. Be, excuse me, and I'll be candid, like 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 you are, and not critical, but just candid and honest. Good. That's what we want. That's exactly. that, that's what the show is based on. I love just visiting with you, Stephen. Here we go. On line one, we have Kay from San Diego, and she has a question for Stephen Halper. And welcome to the show, Kay. Hi. Hi, Kay. Thanks for taking my call. Love I it. was just curious. Um, music is such an incredible effect. I'm also a musician, and um, I've just noticed in my own life because I haven't been using it in so many years, I just started listening again to different music that relaxes me, some of it picks me up, makes me feel great. And um, it's so powerful. And I guess my question to you is, are you, do you work with people in, in that, like as in music therapy, or is it just mostly creating for you? Well, I, I typically don't work one-on-one with people, but I've worked a lot with music therapists and sound healers, uh, psychotherapists. One of my very first uh, mentors and supporters was Dr. Virginia Satia, the great marriage and family therapist. Mm-hmm. Uh, so my music has been used by hypnotherapists and biofeedback people, and many uh, doctors use it in, in surgery. So I've been a, a content provider, as we say, but I, I don't... Uh, or work one-on-one with, with individuals. Eldon, I, I wonder if I may also, uh, as with Kay, who, who's a, a part of a specific audience, which is a professional musician, uh, uh-huh. d- just mention that for anyone, you don't have to be a trained musician to pay attention to the relaxing effect. In, in fact, the word relaxation is so misused in our society when we see the ads that say, take a coffee break and relax, in other words, drink caffeine, a drug to speed up your metabolism. That's the opposite of relaxation in, in medical terminology. So one of the simplest things that people can do is to just monitor their heartbeat and their breathing rate and their pulse. If the music you're listening to speeds up your breathing rate, speeds up your pulse, speeds up your heartbeat, you shouldn't call that relaxing. It could still be powerful. It could still be wonderful. I, I'm not saying, and I've never said, all music needs to be relaxing. I'm saying if you're looking for relaxation as an outcome of your music choice, then choose appropriate uh, soundtracks rather than the uh, musical equivalent of uh, audio and sonic caffeine. Uh, and the simplest way is to just pay attention to your body, tune into your body. That's how part of the way that I got into this whole field, Eldon. I was listening to other music that people said, this music will help you relax. And it didn't, and I began to wonder, well, is there something strange or unusual about me, or uh, are the people who are recommending the classics wrong? Well, I found out both. There were some unusual and idiosyncratic things about myself, including the the fact that I hear beyond the the range of the equipment that tests your hearing in the audiology labs. Uh, Not too many people do that. But also, I... My body was always letting me know whether something was okay or in harmony with with my uh, balanced state of being 
being in a room with a refrigerator or a ticking grandfather clock or a ticking uh, clock of any kind is painful to me. And I could, literally fight. I could literally feel my heart fighting the, the force of the entrainment of the tick, tick, trying to get my heart to beat just like the machine. And my heart is not a machine. And that's <laughs> part of what's built into so much of the music we listen to as well. You, you, you and Kay, of course, are professional musicians. I'm not. I love and enjoy music. But I can tell you this. Uh, there's a software program out there the HeartMath people put out. It's yep. an inexpensive piece of... Okay. Uh, I, I ran a couple of pilot studies with it. And for anyone that's interested in, in the influence of music uh, by way of its relaxation response, this is a great piece of software because it measures coherence, heart yep. coherence. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, there were two things that I discovered. One was, and you're going to love this commercial, I, I should send you a bill for it, but I won't. Your music was very relaxing, and it did promote coherent music, uh, coherent heartways, and not all so-called new age music did. Okay. The second thing that I learned is, you know, as interesting as it is, you cannot hold a negative thought, an angry thought, and have heart coherence, irrespective of the music or soundtrack you're listening to? Absolutely. Just a a little FYI I thought I'd throw in there, because it's important that I think the music does more than just produce relaxation. It has to, at some level, somehow resonate and and give rise to inspiration. It it somehow uplifts that spirit, as we began to say, or as I indicated in the... uh, in the setup piece. And what is it that causes it to lift that spirit? Since we have two musicians here, what is it about music? What is the mechanic that actually elevates my mood, actually inspires me, that, that, that just frees me of burdens of worry and concern? What, what is that? Well, I think part of it is just, um, I mean, I'm a professional musician. Some of the most amazing experiences that I've had have been singing in groups you know, large groups of people, choirs or, you know, just a thousand people singing at a conference or something. This is the most relaxing place for us to get to because we are so connected to each other. You sort of, you you elevate and lift up and then you sort of also blend in with the crowd so that all the sort of ego and insecurity goes away. So that's something I try to bring to my own music when I go in back in, you know, really thinking, how can I blend in with this? It's sort of a harmonious experience. And Stephen, what is your answer? Great. I'm going to add a larger perspective. That is true, and part of why that is, is because when you shift your breathing rate into a slower modality, when you literally slow down, your body is genetically pre-programmed to go into a state of coherence and balance when you get into a relaxed state. Again, that's why relaxation is so fundamental to so many uh, healing modalities. That's the way we've been genetically engineered, as it were, and, and, and pre-programmed. When that happens, when you're breathing slower, the, literally the heartbeat changes, your brain waves change, slow down into the alpha uh, range. And when that happens, literally the blood going out of the heart goes up to the brain at a specific rate that sets up a resonant field, a coherent resonant field around the head as a function of the electromagnetic uh, field effects of uh, uh, pulsing blood coming up the spine. 
That then, Eldon, links up and synchronizes and entrains to the dominant electromagnetic field of the planet. And that's why we, that's certainly one of the reasons we feel like we're tapping into a larger power source, the universe, God, the higher power, etc. That's all true, and there's also an electromagnetic, uh, electromagnetic aspect to that. Uh, that's one of the things that I was interviewed uh, about when I was first on the circuit uh, at the consciousness conferences in the late 70s. And one of the people who uh, was very fascinated by that was uh, Jim Channon, who was uh, the featured uh, behind-the-scenes individual in, in the movie that just came out, The Men Who Stare at Goats. Mm-hmm. So uh, some of my music has been used in that context because it works, and part of that is just by slowing, getting the body into the place where the body knows what to do. The music supports the innate intelligence and what we would like to do if we're not surrounded by the stress of modern machines and the stresses of daily life. It's what we feel when we get out in nature. It's, it's getting yeah, back you, into you, that you, natural attunement. But can I ask one Go ahead, Kay. One more question. I just want to ask one more question, which is what was it that sort of influenced you and got you into doing it this way, maybe a musician that you saw? or I mean, I know that your biggest influence is the universe and, you know. Right. It was a combination of several things. Internal guidance through my own meditations and dreams, uh, tapping into past lives uh, through uh, some wonderful uh, uh, psychic... uh, readers, and also being opened up by reading about uh, both the ancient use of sound in ancient yoga uh, through the work of Gurdjieff, Manly P. Hall, Pythagoras, the use of sound in ancient civilizations, and then the modern uh, people who were rediscovering that, like uh, John Coltrane and uh, the classical uh, composer in Russia, uh, Alexander Scriabin, that most people don't know about, but he was also tuning into the ancient mystical uh, understandings of sound. So I, I was reading books that were not readily available back in the 60s and 70s, and that really gave me the, uh, the, the concept that this, this was not uh, something that I invented, but there was nothing to listen to, and part of my job was to create soundtracks that would manifest this ancient principle of sound connecting as the bridge to spirit, to coherence, to oneness, and, and uh, opening up to joy and love. Okay, and thank you, Kay, uh, for your call. Uh, Stephen, we have several uh, questions out of the chat room here that, that fit with what, what we're discussing. It seems to me that there are two things, that two sounds that I can readily identify with that that bring me into uh, that state of calm, that state of peace. And one of them, uh, I, I reflect on being a very young man uh, and, and going camping in the great outdoors for the first time, up in the high Uintas of Utah's mountains and laying by a lake called Teapot Lake. And and it was alive with sound. Mm-hmm. The stars were sparkling, you know, and I could hear the frogs and the crickets and and it was just mesmerizing, absolutely mesmerizing. Is there, Janet asks from the chat room, and I'll tie this all together, is there a one-size-fits-all relaxing music or tones or nature sound that that works for everyone? Well, it's hard to say that works for everyone. And what you just mentioned, uh, Eldon, 
works for me, works for a lot of people, but a lot of people who live in cities, when they get out into nature like that, they get freaked out by those crickets and those frogs, <laughs> because what they're used to is a whole mechanical orchestra. So that isn't the case. Now, obviously, when I first brought my music out to the world in 1975, uh, there were... Uh, a lot of people have said, this is the music that, that works for me. But based on the amount of sales I, I've, I've had, obviously, uh, this hasn't taken the world by storm. You know, we have uh, millions of listeners, but there's hundreds of millions and billions of people out there. Uh, right. I believe that, that the key is that, that the music would need to activate that inner resonance to spirit, because we all have that same basic uh, cellular resonance and spiritual resonance, and part of the problem is that there just hasn't been money to do the research to uh, really look at that because there isn't necessarily a commercial application. Although, and Eldon, you're probably the best guy to even know about this, it may be that there are people in the advertising agency that are working on that right now who are sneaking things like that into ads on TV and radio uh, to, to sell something but I don't have any uh, direct knowledge of that. Well, indeed there is. I mean, certain soundtracks uh, are used to uh, heighten states of arousal, and but that's a whole other lecture. Right. You, that's you arousal, mentioned that's not that a spiritual, right? <laughs> you, you mentioned uh, stare at ghosts, and you know, just uh, so our listening audience doesn't, you know, wonder, wouldn't know what was that all about. This this was actually an intelligence uh, project where, purportedly, these uh, these people were attempting to mind control or exercise mind control over goats, right? That was a specific aspect, but the context of the First Earth Battalion was to develop a Department of Peace within the military to train uh, certain soldiers and generals through meditation, both to give them higher consciousness and more of a spiritual perspective, which obviously we have to support, bringing consciousness to the military, and possibly an oxymoron, but right. uh, <laughs> uh, nevertheless, and then also because the ancient ninjas, and so many of the ancient uh, martial arts, uh, needed people to be able to shift into deep states of meditation and spiritual consciousness, music was one of the tools that they used, and the staring at goats was only a very small part, but that was part of psychic warfare and uh, non-lethal or non-weaponry uh, that didn't use a machine, but used the power of the mind. Right, and, uh, but I, but I wanted to make the qualification right. that your music right. wasn't actually uh, right. part you. of the soundtrack, if you no. will, uh, designed to tip goats over mentally. Thank right? you. Absolutely not. And <laughs> okay. uh, it was never the music that they used in the torture chambers, which was much more uh, the soundtrack. Right. To Barney the Purple Dinosaur played at industrial strength volumes twenty four seven, which would drive anybody crazy. Or the stuff they played in Waco, Texas, out of the large... We could, we could have a whole, right. uh, an, an entire different show if we decided to go down that route. Exactly. We have just a couple of minutes. Um, and I, and I want to make sure that our listening audience knows how to get to you, uh, how to get to your music, uh, about any events that you might have coming up. So, you know, take a couple, you know, well, I can't give you the whole two minutes now because that's all we have. But take a minute and, and, and bring us up to date on what's going on with Stephen Halpern. Okay, the first thing is I just launched my new website. That's 
stephenhalpern.com, S-T-E-V-E-N-H-A-L-P-E-R-N. And uh, we also have a new membership possibility there to get uh, the uh, latest MP3 downloads of music that I'm working on now, including some soundtracks for uh, uh, supporting breast health and prostate health. Those are some projects I'm coming out with. There'll be a major release happening in August on the 35th uh, anniversary of my first recording that has some of the most incredible music I've ever had the pleasure to, uh, to record. And uh, I'm doing a workshop at the Institute of Noetic Sciences from June 4th to 6th. That's just a couple weeks uh, from now, and there's a link on my website uh, to that as well. That sounds exciting. Now... <clears throat> The piece that we played, Ancient Echoes, mm-hmm. you know, I, is that available at Amazon? It is. I mean, oh, it certainly it? is. All right, cool. So, because I want everybody, you know, if you really want to enjoy some beautiful meditation music, you've just had that redone, right? I've just remastered it, and Georgia Kelly, of course, with the wonderful harpist there. When I first met her in the uh, uh, 1976 time frame, uh, the harp, of course, is an ancient instrument related to healing and spirituality. Uh, I uh, knew that we had to record. We went into the studio with basically no rehearsal. We meditated for a moment, tuned into the vibration of the moment, and the music flowed through. And uh, what people There you go. Is, and everybody out there, hey, it's my favorite. I love it. Uh, go get it. Well, we've come to the end of another hour of Provocative Enlightenment, and I want to thank all of you for joining us, and I hope you enjoyed our show, and will join us again next week, same time and same place. My guest next week is William Paul Young, author of the marvelous book, The Shack. If you don't know this true story of a man whose daughter is kidnapped and who God then, well, you know, I'm not going to ruin the story. Next week, join us then. Until